So every year um, here at Lake Oconee Press, we um, we choose our elders and deacons. You choose them, and you nominate them, and we go through this process. And so usually about this time in January, this is what we're doing. We're installing our new elders and new deacons or ordaining them if they need to be ordained. And um, it can be a little bit of a – it can start to feel a little bit like a, a routine. And sometimes routines uh, obviously are good. You brush your teeth, I hope, put on deodorant and comb your hair in the morning. Um, but sometimes it can be a little, we, we can forget about the significance. We don't really grasp and, and understand what is taking place and what it means. So what a divine providence that this morning, uh, as we are ordaining and installing our new elders and, and deacons, we, uh, we get the second half of Acts chapter 1 and... Uh, and this is really quite remarkable, because think about it. What we had last week was the ascension of Jesus. So the first half of Acts 1 is this transition um, where Luke is, is going, he's still telling us about uh, the acts of Jesus, what he did, and what he taught. That's what the book of Acts is about. So when you're reading through this book, as you're looking at it, if you want to ask the question, what, you know, the two questions you want to be asking is, what does this tell me about who Jesus is and did? And what does this tell me about what Jesus taught? And um, and th- those two keys will help you understand the book of Acts. And so we saw that in those first 11 or so verses. And we saw the ascension of Jesus, that he rose uh, right there in front of the apostles. Uh, he descended. The cloud enveloped him. And we talked about how that was uh, significant because that was the glory cloud of God himself receiving Jesus. And um, and we talked about that Jesus went and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. How interesting is it? <clears throat> Maybe it's not interesting to you. It's interesting to me that the second half of the chapter is taken up with the choosing of the next apostle, the apostle to replace Judas. Now think of think of all the things that probably could have been recorded. This might seem like a snoozer. Like, really? You're going to tell us about the choosing of Matthias? We don't even know who Matthias is. I mean, do we really care? Well, we should. And we should care about the process, because the process of the church choosing its leaders here early on is instruction for us. It helps us understand some things about what is transpiring. So as we look at the church choosing its leaders, um, we want to just kind of look at three points quickly this morning. Why it chose, how it chose, and what it means. Uh, why it chose its leaders, how it chose its leaders, and what it means for us. So let's look at this first point, why it chose. Why didn't, why didn't the apostles just decide, hey, alright, there's 11 of us, let's just march on with the 11 that we've got, alright? Why do we need to, what was the need to fill this void? Well, <clears throat> Luke tells us that in those days, Peter stood up, stood up amongst all of the, uh, uh, the other believers and, and what he essentially does is he, recounts a little bit of redemptive history. He takes them back and gives them this historical lesson from the Psalms. And um, verse 20, For, said Peter, it's written in the book of Psalms. And then he gives us two aspects. One, the first one is that there would be a spot that would be deserted. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And then another Psalm, 
may another take his place of leadership. And Peter takes those and he applies them kind of this forward-looking, redemptive, historical sort of way. He applies them to the situation of Judas who betrayed Jesus. Now, Peter does this, and he is essentially saying, look, we've got the one, Judas dropped out, and we've got this other spot in the in the Psalms that tell us that we need to fill this spot of leadership, and so we need to do that. But also kind of maybe rounding out Peter's understanding was he had been with Jesus all along, and he re- probably remembers Jesus, uh, Luke chapter twenty two twenty eight saying this, You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus said that to the apostles, that they were going to sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, I guess you could have 11 apostles judging 12 tribes. But the symbolism that's going on here would have you understand and kind of make us believe that there would be 12 apostles sitting on 12 thrones judging what? The 12 tribes of Israel. And so Peter takes all of that and he puts it together and he understands and he believes that it's important to have these 12 witnesses to the person and work of Christ that are going out into the world. So, I, you know, that's, that's not earth-shattering necessarily, other than Peter understood his Bible. He knew what was, he, he was starting to put the pieces together, right? We had Jesus, uh, you know, we, we had the Old Testament um, uh, looking forward, we had the promise of the Messiah, and and he listened to Jesus as he taught. Remember in Luke chapter 24, Jesus is teaching all through the Old Testament. He's telling those guys on the road to Emmaus about who he was, and he's doing it all from the Old Testament. And Peter has been hearing this. He's He's recording all of this. He's understanding all of this. And so he begins to do some of that teaching himself. Um, he begins to put some of those scriptures together himself. And um, and this is a really important point because the early church had to see itself and needed to see itself as being connected to that older church, Israel. This is the new Israel. The church is Israel. And so those two somehow fit together. And so that linkage of the 12, the 12 apostles, the 12 tribes, that is going to help them as they take this message out to primarily, initially, a Jewish audience. They are going to be hearing this message for the first time. And so to have the 12 witnesses, the 12 pillars, if you will, of the church communicating what has happened, what Jesus did, who Jesus is, and what it means was really significant for them. And so that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the why. The why is Peter understood that they needed to have that close connection. Um, and he understood his, his history. And so they moved then to go ahead and fill this spot. So let's talk a little bit about how they chose. Verse 21, Peter first tells us that it 
needed to be someone who had been around since John baptized Jesus. So they needed to have been there at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and they needed to have seen that ministry happen all the way through the crucifixion and the resurrection. Because what did they want? As they went out early, I mean, listen, this is the first witness to who Jesus is, and that first witness needed to be competent. They needed to understand they had to have seen, right? This is a verbal testimony of what we have seen and what we have borne witness to. And that was so crucial, it was so critical that they narrowed it down and there were only two individuals who were believers, who were following Christ, who had been there at the beginning, and now were there at the end of the resurrection and the ascension. And those two, he tells us, are, this guy's got three names. I mean, how important is he, right? Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, all right? So he is uh, one of the ones selected, and Matthias. And so they bring these two out, and they these guys clearly must have understood and known that gospel message. They had, they, they met all of the criteria. Um, and the next thing they do is they move to, to, to elect these guys. Now, this isn't a democratic election. doesn't look anything like, like the way we've gone about electing. And, and, and that may have scratching, you scratching your head a little bit. But, but remember, what they're doing isn't necessarily normative for who we are as a church today, okay? Their situation's remarkably different. These are the apostles. Uh, these are the early, the first pillars. These are the 12 men that Jesus himself has chosen. And, and that's an interesting word because it shows up in Luke chapter 6 and it shows up here in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus himself is the one who has chosen these leaders. Right? Luke 6 tells us that he had chose the 12. Acts chapter 1 tells us that he's chosen these men as his apostles. And now we get to this section. And this is really interesting because before they move um, to cast lots, we'll talk about that in a second. Before they move to do that, what did they do? Verse 24. They prayed. They prayed, and what they prayed is really significant. Now, remember, we talked about this last week as we are talking about the ascension. Okay? Jesus has left, but he has told them that he will be at the right hand of the Father. Okay? I'm going to the right hand of the Father, and from there he is going to continue to work. He's going to continue to rule and reign. And so now you get right out of the gate the apostles have gathered together, and where do, where do they go to get their understanding? Where do they go to, to, to get the next move? Verse 24, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Who does that, who, who is the Lord that knows everyone's heart? Yeah, Jesus. That's who they're praying to. Um, typically in the book of Acts, when you see the word Lord, uh, understand that that's, 
That is, uh, Luke is typically using Lord to refer to Jesus. Not exclusively, there are a couple of times where he doesn't do it, but almost uh, exclusively, he is using the word Lord to refer to Jesus. They are praying to Jesus. And they're asking him, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Now, how do they know that? Well, they'd seen him in action. They knew that he knew everyone's heart, right? He knew their hearts and had showed them over and over again that he knew their hearts. And so they are asking, Lord, Jesus, you know everyone's heart. Now, look at the next phrase. You've known every, uh, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two, what? You have chosen. <laughs> right? He chose them back. He chose the initial 12 back in Luke chapter 6. He's already referred to the fact that he's chosen them in this chapter. And now as they pray to select one of these two, they pray, Lord, you know everyone's heart and you know whom you've chosen. So show us who it is. And then they cast the lots. Now, I don't know how to tell you. Don't, you know, I wouldn't go making decisions by rolling the dice, okay? Uh, but in this context, in the ancient context, casting lots was a way to, to step back and let God make the, that, that decision. It, it, what they were attempting to do in casting lots was to extract any sort of bias in the situation. Right? There are, there are 11 guys here that are making this selection. They've got two. The potential there for a lot of, you know, personal feelings and that sort of stuff to get all mixed up in that. Um, so they prayed, Lord, we know that you know, you're the searcher of men's hearts, you know men's hearts, you know who the right person is because you've chosen him. And so we're going to cast lots and we're going to let the chips fall where they may. Years ago, I remember uh, I'm in my first church and uh, a, a good buddy of mine, and we, we became instant good buddies because he was an Auburn guy. He was a really smart guy and uh, made good decisions in life. And so we we got together. He uh, he invited me to go out and to this uh, little lake and to do some fishing. And so we went out. I'm not listen. I am not much of a fisherman guy. Uh, and so we went out, you know. Um, and I was pretending uh, to be. And uh, so we got out there. We were in the boat. We we're doing a little bass fishing, you know. And I'm. I'm pulling him in, right? I mean, I'm just like every cast, I, you know. And he's uh, Evan is on the other side of the boat, and so we start having this conversation about. So do you think God, God's sovereign over who's catching fish in this boat? You know. And uh, and I remember telling Evan, Ab- absolutely, he's sovereign over that because I don't have anything to do with this. I, I'm just throwing a lure in there. Um, yes, the. Apostles had that understanding. That's why they were willing to uh, uh, to allow it to go to the throwing of, of lots, the casting of lots. And so they casted their lots. But isn't it interesting that right here, so early in the life of the church, what did they do? They went to Christ. They understood 
when our book of church order tells us right in the opening preface, Christ is the king and head of the church. Listen, I believe that. Our officers believe that. And if they don't, they better start believing that. He is the king and head of the church. And they went to him. They approached him in prayer. They were, they were solemn in their, listen, they casted lots not as some funny thing to do. They did it because they wanted their bias to be removed and they wanted the decision to be with the king and head of the church. I don't know how else, you know, um, it, 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 it's significant. It's it's meaningful. It is directional for us that they did that. Um, Marion and I want nothing more than to lead that way, right? We don't. We are not interested. Marion and I are not interested in being bound up with one another and and scheming and and trying to you know find turf battles. We we have no desire for any of that because this is his church, right? You are his sheep. He has called you. We want to shepherd you. We want to see you grow and to flourish. We don't want battles over the color of carpets and walls and buildings and all of that. Let that stuff be gone. Christ is the king and head of his church. So just this week, uh, some a friend of mine posted a, um, it's a video picture thing of, of, uh, a very large church in China being imploded. Anybody see this uh, picture? Um, and it just happened this past week. The Chinese government went in, and they said that it was an unsound structure. They had some argument for why they were going to destroy this old church in China. And so they went and they blew it up. And I and I just remarked to my friend, <laughs> and you blow churches up all day long. This church can implode. Guess what? What did Christ promise? What did Jesus say? I will build my church. It's a people. It's not a place, not a building. Um, and he is going to do that. And we want him to continue to, to do that in you, to grow his church, to let us flourish as a, as a people. And the apostles wanted that. Listen, that's why they went to Christ. That's why they prayed to him. Lord, you, you know who you want in this position. Put him in that position so that we can get busy Spreading the gospel so we can complete our number and start what you have for us. And that was telling the story, going out and being ministers of the Lord Jesus and expanding and growing the church. And so that's what they did. Listen, how they chose, uh, the, the, the thing that you just need to carry away from that is they recognized the Lord Jesus as the king and head of the church. And that's why we want to follow his lead. The third thing is, what does it mean? And here's basically, I, I've, I've probably, I've already really given that away. And, and what that means is that um, they understood what was going on in the ascension of Christ. And that is, Jesus ascended from them. He was gone from their presence, but he was active in their midst. Right? And that's what he promised. Where two or three are gathered I am there with you. And when he's talking about that, he really means when there is a gathering of my people, I'm in their midst. It doesn't mean that he's not 
there other times. It just means that it is a, it is significant when people come together in his name and gather in his midst. And um, he is there with them. That has always been the story of God and his people. He is with us. He tabernacles with us. He meets with us. He meets with us as we come together as a body. Um, and so they understood that. And what that means is for us, right, to think about where we're at today, the life of the church. Jesus has promised his presence with us. That's why I hope each Sunday what you're hearing as you come, whether it's me or Marion or someone else preaching and teaching, is that we're directing your attention to Christ. We're pointing you to him. It's not about us. It's about him, and it's about what he has done for us as a people. And that's where we want to constantly be directing our attention and redirecting our attention. And the apostles saw it and they understood it, and that was uh, that was their movement. So, kind of we wrap this up and we move into our ordination and installation. My my original intent was to take three the three various uh, callings of of uh, leaders that appear in the book of Acts. Uh, Russ read the second one for us that happens here in Acts 6, but to take those and to to put them all together and kind of show you a picture of what the choosing of leaders looked like in the early church. But because our time is is short, we're not able to do that, so we'll just pick those up as we get to them. But I want to read to you a a highlight, something that uh, Dennis Johnson, who was with us last year about this time and did the Revelation study, Dennis also has a book uh, out on the book of Acts, and um, And he says this about the choosing of the leaders. He says that although the Holy Spirit is present in all who trust in Jesus, the description full of spirit, which is referred to about these leaders in different places, marks out these men as having had an unusual degree of maturity, of sensitivity to the Spirit's divine presence, of bold and joyful faith, and of godly wisdom and compassion. If we take this first choosing, we consider the others, that is a really good roundup of what elders and deacons should be striving for. Maturity in the Christian life and in living that life. A sensitivity to the divine presence, through the Spirit. A bold and joyful faith, right? Happy in the Lord. Delighting in who He is and the, and what good He has done in our lives. Godly wisdom and compassion. This morning, as we kind of move into this time and, and these men are coming, let me encourage you. They are praying for you. They will be praying for you. Pray for them. Pray for them that um, first, as the elders and deacons are meeting together, it is really important that those groups come together as, I mean, I, you know, a good team, if you will, and that they're all moving in the same direction. 
That is so critical and is so important to us as a church, as a congregation, that you know your leaders are united. Look, when we meet in a session room and and the the deacons are having their meetings, there's vigorous debate. But when they come out, my hope, my prayer, my expectation is that when we come out of that debate and we come out of those rooms and we've talked and we've laid our hearts on the table, that we come out and we're all moving and pushing and pulling in the same direction. Would you pray for that? Pray for them that that is what happens as these new guys, because a team will form and then a couple of guys rotate off and a couple of guys come on and we need to keep all of that moving in the same direction. And you know, you know how healthy that is. You know how vibrant that can uh, allow us to be and how good that is for us. And so that is my prayer. And as you're praying for that, Pray for these things. Pray that these men will be mature and sensitive and bold and joyful and they'll express godly wisdom and that they will all have compassion as they care for the flock. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you. Thanks for uh, this picture that we get to see in Acts 1 of your apostles um, moving and such a deliberative direction to choose a new leader in the church. Father, we, we thank you for that. And Lord, we're, um, we're, we're mindful that uh, you've given that to us and what a great picture that is. So thank you. And, um, and Father, as we move now to this time, we want to thank you for uh, the opportunity that we've had as a congregation to call these men and to um, um, affirm them in their walk with you and their leadership. And so as they come this morning, we pray that you'll be a part of our time together as they're set apart for leadership. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me get my notes straight as we move to uh, our ordination and installation portion. So, uh, hold on. Let me just, uh, let me remind you, we've got, uh, this morning we're going to be doing our, uh, we'll, we have an ordination, okay? So Russell Puppy is going to be coming. Uh, Russell was ordained as a, a deacon, and um, this morning he will be ordained as an elder and installed as an elder. And then the uh, other men, um, George Roundtree, John Morrison, and Steve Barton, uh, have all been ordained either as an elder, in John's case as a deacon, and installed, um, Steve at another church. And so they're coming this morning to be installed. All of this is going to happen together um, in the, the, the same asking of the questions and those things. Ken Johnson, unfortunately, is home sick with the flu. We are so glad that he didn't come. Um, but we are going to miss him, and we will install him uh, later because he is coming for a second term as a as deacon uh, this go round, and so he will he will uh, come at another time, and we'll do that. Um, and we want to pray for him as well. So um, you have uh, you have called these men, you've recognized gifts in their lives, and um, and I would just tell you, just give you just a reminder, roughly speaking. Uh, the, the elders are, uh, are responsible for 
the spiritual concerns of the church, and deacons typically are responsible for the physical concerns of the church. And when I say church, I don't mean the building. There's an easy place for us to spend a lot of our time and energy. Um, when I say church, they're responsible for you, your physical needs, the things that are going on with you. Um, and we really, our deacons and elders do a really, really good, I've been Apart in this context as a pastor, three different churches, um, and uh, you all are blessed to have had the leadership you've had in the past um, that have set you on the course that you're on, and we just want to continue to build on that. But I'm very thankful for uh, for the leadership that they've shown. So elders showing um, responsibility for areas of the worship and sacraments, membership, education, evangelism, missions, discipline, pastoral care. And, um, and they're also given the task of being responsible for final authority and everything that happens in the church. And our deacons are responsible for mercy, buildings and grounds, stewardship, and worship assistance. Um, and so we're really thankful that the Lord has divided these responsibilities and given us these men. So I'm going to ask if uh, George Roundtree, John Morrison, Steve Barton, and Russell Puppy, if you all would come forward at this point. So I'm now going to uh, propose to all of you the, constitu- the constitutional questions from the Book of Church Order, and I'll ask that you give answer. Um, Russell, you're coming for your uh, ordination and installation to the Office of Ruling Elder, and Steve and George are coming for their installation to the Office of Ruling Elder, John Morrison coming for your uh, installation uh, to the Office of Deacon again. So let me ask you as you reaffirm these and as you affirm these, first, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of your ordination vow. Do you? Do you approve of the form of government and the discipline of the Presbyterian Church in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? Do you? Do you accept the office of ruling elder and deacon in this church and promise to faithfully uh, perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer? Do you? Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Do you promise to strive for the edification the peace, the unity, and the purity of the church. Do you? All right. If you all will turn around to the congregation. And now to the congregation, let me ask you, do you, the members of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church, acknowledge and receive these brothers as ruling elders and deacon 
And do you promise to yield to them all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which their office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles them? If you do, signify by raising your right hand. All right, if you all turn back around. I'm going to invite um, all of our uh, ruling elders, if they would, to come forward. And if you all would, let's turn and we'll face the congregation. And if you'll kneel, invite all of our elders to come and lay hands on these brothers. Let's pray. Father, you have called us. Sovereignty, and you have chosen these men. Father, you have chosen these men to serve this church, your church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the gifts and the skills that you have given them. Father, we ask that those gifts might be used in service of this church as we minister and care for all those who are members of this church and the congregation at large. Father, again, we thank you for calling these. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. We ask again as these men take their respective offices that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ they might be gifted, they might serve again with your love and your grace. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I ask uh, the elders, if they would, to, to uh, give these men the right hand of fellowship and to invite them into this ministry.